From Luminary, this is Karamo, a podcast. Hey friends, welcome to Karamo. I am your host, Karamo. It's June, which means it's Pride Month here in the States. Now, most Pride celebrations have been canceled due to the coronavirus, so I thought, why not bring some pride into your life by spending this month talking to some of my LGBTQIA friends who I love. So I want to start off this Pride Month series with my dear friend and Queer Eye castmate, Tan France. Many of you know Tan because of his work on Queer Eye, but this episode is about going deeper, discussing his past, challenges he has faced due to his sexuality, religion, and race, and what he believes we can all do to make this world a better and more equal place for everyone. So I'm ready to start talking and growing with Tan France. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. He is the host of Next in Fashion on Netflix. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, you should watch that. He is also a New York Times bestselling author. His book is called Naturally Tan. It is my castmate, my love, my heart, the most beautiful brown boy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Tan Fran. Hi, baby. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks for being with me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. What I love about you, I've said this before, Tan was my little crush. Him and Jonathan were my two crushes <laughs> when we first started casting. And Chroma was mine. First date. <laughs> is that actually true? And then as we got past that very quickly, yes. he's married yes. and I'm engaged. What I really loved was that I was very excited that there was someone else on this cast who I could look at sometimes, and we don't even have the same thing, mm-hmm. and we just give each other a look. Yeah, it really makes me giggle. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you get it. <laughs> you get it. Anybody who is part of a quote-unquote marginalized community, which I hate that word marginalized mm-hmm. because there's nothing marginal yes. about us, yeah. but anytime you're part of a community that is not seen, other people in that community, when things happen, y'all can look at each other and be like, oh, You girl. just raise an eyebrow, <laughs> yeah. and we all know what it yeah, means. It's you, universal. You're like, yeah. girl, you see this yeah. bullshit? Okay, okay, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But what I love about you is that you handle it with such grace. Thanks. But I know it had to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to go and talk through some of these things, which will be sort of reoccurring themes yeah. of some of my guests that we talked to during yeah. season two. Here it is. Uh, I've heard this before, and it's very nice, uh, but it also it's indicative of my culture and how I was raised. When people say, you deal with this very gracefully, and I appreciate that because it's something that I built up for years, but mm-hmm. I wish I didn't have to be graceful. Yeah. I would love to be Bananas Tan, who's just willing to say however he feels, but I don't have the luxury of that. I've spoken about that at length. Everyone who's Caucasian gets to be ungraceful if they choose to be. If somebody says something negative to them, they get to say what they want to say. I don't have that luxury. I know you don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. If I was treated negatively because of my color beforehand, me being anything other than graceful meant that people saw my people as crazy. They're aggressive. They're violent. Not tans aggressive. Tans violent. Tans angry. 
oh, their people are nuts. Yes. That's why we don't like brown people. Yeah. Like, look how crazy they are. So you have to lead with grace. You have to be the very best example as opposed to saying what we really want to say sometimes, which is this is not okay. You do not get to effing speak to me like this and lash out. That's yeah. not a luxury of a brown person. So you're very right about that. What was that pressure like for you growing up? As a kid, I suffered racism almost every day, if not every day. And when I was a kid, I didn't have the wherewithal to know how to deal with that. I, I would lash out. I would swear back and I would say horrible things back and then run. Uh, I was a very fast <laughs> runner. I'm a tiny little thing and I could, I've got quite a sprint on me. I knew that that wasn't working and it was making the problem worse and worse and worse. And so I learned at a very young age, probably 12, 13, I started to try and reason with people. Somebody would say something disgusting. And instead of lashing out, I would turn and say, why do you think that that's okay to say yeah. to me? Especially when I got to like 17, 18 and I hear the comments shifted. Uh, like what? After 9-11. After 9-11 comments shifted, it was no longer just a comment about my skin color. It's what my skin color represented. There's a term in England uh, that I'm going to say, and I don't know if you can keep it on, but it's, it's Paki, which is basically, it's a shortened version of Pakistani, but it's said with such venom. It's like our version of the N-word. It's it. disgusting. You would never say that to one of us. And immediately it, it makes us incredibly irate. And And so that was the word that they used as a kid. And then when I turned 17 or when I was 17, 9, 11 happened and that word changed. It was no longer Paki and I actually quite missed it um, because then it turned into terrorist or raghead uh, or bomb yeah. when they walked by. Yeah, and it, it was it was that kind of comment and that never went away wow. and that still hasn't gone away. You just said something that was like really heartfelt and really real. Mm -hmm. I missed it. Yeah. It's like to transition from one hate speech to another, mm -hmm. you get to a space where you're like, the lesser of two the, evils. Exactly, <laughs> like, it was the lesser of two evils. Yeah. And I and I didn't realize, this is so ridiculous to say, I didn't realize the luxury of the initial racism that I was getting because it was so much lighter yeah. and easier to manage than the second round of racism, the upgrade. Yeah. What was that like for you, though? Because at a young age, where did you get the tools to deal with that? You know, I learned it from my mom. She is incredibly graceful. She's a very docile woman, and I don't say that with any negativity. I mean, she just... She she's very calm. She's very patient. She dealt with it her whole life. She came from Pakistan to England. And I never saw her respond negatively to racism. She just continued to walk on because she didn't want to cause uh, a scene with her children. She didn't want to have them see her get into any kind of altercation. And so I didn't do that for the first few years uh, because I wanted to defend my mom and my own honor. Um, but as I got older, I started to practice what she practiced, mm -hmm. which is that solves nothing. Me swearing at them solves nothing. Show them that we're better than them by being better than them. Yeah. I had a similar experience because Tanny knows me very well, and he knows that I have two very clear sides. Oh, me too. <laughs> me <laughs> too. Did, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. bitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're like, I'm either with you and ride or die, and I love you, and I'm sweet and happy, uh, or I can become a venomous little... <laughs> like, and I think about it, that's like uh, my father's side growing mm -hmm. up like he was the one who would deal with outside challenges mm -hmm. in a way of F you I'm gonna cuss your ass yeah. out I'm gonna do yeah. you know like we're not having this yeah. where my mother was the one that was 
very calm. Yeah. She took a lot in. Yeah. Um, I've met your mother. That does not surprise me at all. Yes. She's a you, graceful woman. It was like she led with grace in mm-hmm. everything she did. It was like, mm-hmm. this is how you go. Mm-hmm. And I realized growing up when I was in college, similar to you, high school, I would say things to people mm-hmm. who would come for me regarding my race, mm-hmm. regarding my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I would hit a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And so I changed. But it doesn't mean that I didn't want to still say something, mm-hmm. that it wasn't hard. The oh, pressure yeah. of feeling like I always mm-hmm. had to yeah. say the right thing. You know, uh, when I was in my later teen years, before I really started to understand how I wanted to articulate myself with these people, I used to get home after receiving a horrible comment and I would emotionally beat myself up saying, why didn't you say this? Why didn't you say that? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do mm-hmm. that? And so it, I started to learn how to tackle that in a better way. So that now when somebody says something, it's not venomous, but I will say something in return because I don't want to feel the the shame I used to feel by not saying anything at all. Yeah. That wasn't okay to me. How did you deal with emotionally beating yourself up? Because a lot of people have that problem. I call it um, reruns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. it plays over and oh, over in your yeah. head and you're like, ugh, yeah. why did you do, ugh, yeah. why didn't I say, you know. Yeah. And you play it out. You play it out exactly how you wish it had gone. Yeah. Um, how did I deal with it? Honestly, just by telling my family and they uh, they would placate me and say, listen, that that it happens to all of us. You were wise to not say anything. You would have been beaten if you had said something. Yeah. And so I would try and make sure that I wasn't hating on myself too much by accepting the fact that it probably would have led to worse. And that, and it wasn't until I learned how to really say, you don't pay my taxes, bitch, yeah. um, that I really started <laughs> to learn, okay, I can just do that. I'm mean, saying that for a reason because I moved to a place called Manchester and I was on a bus and these men, these horrible men, I was, I was a child, they were in their 30s, they wouldn't let me get off the bus. So a group of drunken men, it was like 10 o'clock at night and there were probably six or seven of them and they wouldn't let me get off the bus. They were threatening to kill me when I got oh off the bus. Oh my gosh. And, um, and it all started with just one simple comment and they were like, oh, look, at him we pay for these people to live in our buddy country uh they're living off our taxes and me being the uh, mean girl i was back <laughs> in the day i was like bitch you have to pay my fucking taxes i pay for you to live i got a job uh, and it turned into something horrible yeah hold on no 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 we uh, first of all i when you just said that i could see tan now because yeah. i know you, you know saying me that. yeah but I want to go back to that because I've never heard this story. I've heard yeah. you, and I've you've, I've never heard I've you never say said that. It, I've never told. What the story was that like? At, You're uh, on the bus, before. and I went to university in the daytime, and in the evening I worked my job, and it finished at ten, nine thirty, ten, um, each day, and so I had to catch the bus home. The bus was about a half an hour ride, and it went through a relatively rough area for England. We don't have guns and stuff, so it's lovely for you guys, yeah. but for us it was quite rough, and an area that was quite racist. And so I was very new to the city, and I didn't know to not get this certain bus and so I got it and I sat there very quietly and there were a bunch of other people and then these guys got on outside of a a pub and they were very drunk and it was full of white people other than me as they started to walk towards the area that I was on they started like nudging each other like oh here look at him look we've got Uh, this bus Um, and then finally they just looked over and one of them was like we pay for people like you to live like get out of our country and I was sat there thinking oh my gosh Tan don't say anything don't say anything don't don't say anything they are much older than you you are not going to be able to protect yourself here they went on and on and then finally I couldn't help myself and I was like what makes you think that you pay for me to live? Yeah. I just finished uh, my job. I'm going to college. I work a job. And quite honestly, by the looks of you, I think I probably pay 
your taxes. Yeah. Like I pay for you to live. I earn a very decent salary. And it was, I was earning a very decent salary at that time. And I was like, no, I bitch, I pay for you to live. <laughs> and as soon as that came out, it was very clear it was over for me. And so they start to get more aggressive. Wait till you get off the bus. Wait till you get off the bus. And the bus driver uh, intervened and he was shouting. He was driving so he couldn't do anything, but he was shouting, leave him alone. Like, just let him get home. He's a child, for goodness sake. And then there was a lady. Because you were, what, 17? 17. Wow. Uh, and, there were, uh, and there was a lady who uh, was pregnant and she was thankfully uh, coming to my defense saying, leave him alone, for goodness sake. He's a kid. He did nothing to you. Um, anyway. This was back in the day when uh, we had Nokia 7210. There were these little phones. Yeah. And I had a very impressive skill where I could text without ever looking at my phone. Full text, no mistakes. And I was panicking, thinking, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get home? How am I going to get home? They're going to kill me. They're not going to let me off the bus. What were they saying to you? What were they screaming at you? They weren't even shouting. They were like, wait till you get off this bus. Like, you Silent think, threats. Yeah. If you think you're going to uh, live the rest of your life, you're out of your mind. Like, you, we told you to get out of our country. We're going to make sure you do. Like, We're going to kill you. Yeah. And so it, that's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And so I texted my brothers. My eldest brother just so happened to be visiting from our hometown. And I knew who, uh, he was there. And so I texted my brothers saying, I'm on this bus. I need you to come help me. I think I'm about to be attacked like you wouldn't believe. And they managed to stop the bus a few minutes later. They got in the car and they brought a gang of people. And what I really wanted to say to them, actually, I kind of did, was, this is why you don't mess with brown people. We travel in packs. <laughs> like, you come for one of us, you come for us all. And so they stopped the bus and um, and the bus driver let them on because he knew that they were yeah. there to protect me. But I can only imagine the scary that is at 17. I was shaking so badly. Yeah. I was shaking so badly. Um, but as soon as I saw my brothers, I was so relieved. And they brought quite a few people with them. And they said to these guys, no, no, come off the bus. Like, yeah. you're waiting for our brother. Come on, he's going to get off yeah. the bus now. And they were like, no, 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 we don't want any trouble. And they were like, no, no, get off the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and so they got off the bus. And this is horrible to say, but it, there's a statute of limitations. And that we've passed that. My brothers beat them. Wow. And I was so relieved for it. Yeah. And I stood and watched and I said to them, I was like, they didn't do a crazy job. They just yeah. hit them. And I said, this is why you should never attack us. Yeah. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And you were trying to hurt me. I yeah. was a child. And you are grown men. You are literally my, pretty much my dad's age. Yeah. And you were threatening to kill me. First of all, I'm so glad you were safe because that moment if your brothers weren't available or anything could have turned out mm -hmm. you know so differently yeah. because as we know there are so many people who are in that situation who are of color yeah. who are of a certain sexual gender identity mm -hmm. um even women mm -hmm. who then are in that space and they don't have anyone to text yeah. and they I walk so off grateful. that bus yeah. and get beat up yeah get stabbed yeah. get killed yeah. I'm thankful that you had that safety. Me too. I thank God most days for everything I have in my life. But yeah. that is the one situation I remember so distinctly thinking my life possibly could have been over or at least drastically changed. Yeah. I know that they were going to destroy me. Yeah. When you decided to start letting people into your life, mm -hmm. you know, I don't use the term coming yeah. out, yeah. letting people into your life regarding your sexuality. That was a challenge for you because... Yeah. You identify as Muslim. Yeah. And which I've always loved and respected about you is that you've never lost your faith. You mm -hmm. know, you and I on the show, we yeah. always talk about our faith. Yeah. Um, which makes some people very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable, which is Bobby Burke. Uh, we cannot uh -huh. stand it. Every time we make a comment, he goes, ugh. Uh, I know. <laughs> we're like, you know, those are normally mm -hmm. things that in society's eyes don't go. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Muslim man, mm -hmm. but I'm also a proud gay man. Yeah. And I know that was some point of contention yeah. because you were just being who you are. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? You know what? The, the interesting thing is, 
It was never a question for me as to whether I lose my religion or be gay. It, it, those things aren't mutually exclusive for me, and they never were. I was raised in uh, my faith, and there was only one way I knew how to believe. There was only one real hope, uh, and that was religion-based. Mm-hmm. And so just because I realized I was gay doesn't negate a lifetime of a true belief. Yeah. For me, it wasn't difficult to reconcile being gay and Muslim. I just had to reimagine how I practice my faith. Yes, there are many people out there who probably hate the fact that I'm associating myself with their religion. But what I say to that is, I don't need to go to your mosque. I don't need your opinion on my life. I will practice my faith however I want to practice my faith. That's the luxury of free agency. You get to mm-hmm. do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and who knows who's right? I was always under the guise of, I believe that my God is most merciful and loving and kind. That is a fundamental of my religion. Yeah. I can't believe that I was raised in a faith and led to believe that my God is real and true and to have him hate me for being the most loving. Yeah. I can't imagine that I will be sent to hell because I love somebody. Yeah. I'm doing nothing wrong. Yeah. I thought of this very young. I, at the age of eight, nine, ten, I never struggled with it. I always thought I love both things. I love my I love my faith, mm-hmm. but I also know I will love a man. What are the comments that you got from people within the Muslim faith? The the interesting thing is, as soon as I came out, I stopped going to mosque. Mm. So I didn't ever see anybody for them to make a comment. But friends of mine, I didn't come out or let my friends in uh, until I was starting to hit like 16-ish. And I didn't tell some of them the Muslim ones because I didn't know how they would respond. Um, and instead, they a couple of them decided to track where I was going because I started... <laughs> Leaving at school. Nosy little yes, of yours. I know. <laughs> I st- that's what you get with a tight community. Um, and I started. They started to realize I wasn't hanging out with them as much. It's because I got my first boyfriend. Yeah. And I didn't know how to tell them. And so they would follow me. And uh, and one day they saw me go to his house. And I gave him a kiss at the doorstep. And the next day I had my white friend say, "Oh my gosh, they know what's happening. They're telling everyone." Wow. Yeah. And so actually, I left town. I moved. Wow. I moved a week later. Yeah. Uh, because I was too scared to handle what might have happened in our community. Yeah. And I love a tight knit community. I really do. However, that can, it's a double edged sword as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful if you are willing to uh, fit into this, the social norms of that community. If you have anything that might uh, d- help you deviate from that path. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will come for you. Yeah, that's just the way it is. People don't realize that small, tight knit communities are the original Twitter. Like Absol- literally, Karamo, that is one of the funniest things you've said. It's the real. It's it the is real. very true. If you're not going with the crowd and saying uh-huh. everything, they are against they you. They are. They will attack you. They will and troll you. Come for you, and mm-hmm. you will have to either fight or delete your account. And I deleted my account. <laughs> I deleted my account, yeah. and I set up a, a more interesting social account somewhere else. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sometimes the communities that you love, mm-hmm. you don't lose your faith. Yeah, uh-uh. you have to find a new community that Absolutely. is going to who is op- more open-minded yeah. and will uh, accept me for exactly what. What was that journey like for you finding that community? Because you left basically everything you knew. I, I left everything I knew. I left my family. I knew that they had intentions to move to Manchester, but it wasn't at the same time as me. But it didn't matter. I needed. I was. Very, I'm, I've always been very resolute, and I'm sure you know this about me. I'm a very determined man, mm-hmm. uh, and I have been since I was a child. If y'all ain't seen Queer Eye, Tanny loves a boundary. I love <laughs> a boundary. Loves a boundary. <laughs> I love a boundary. I love a strong decision, yes. and I stick with yes. it. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Aries. I'm very stubborn. Yeah. And so I, I found my community in Manchester. Manchester had one of the largest gay communities in the UK, and so I knew that I would fit in there. Um, and so thankfully, it was a lot easier um, for me to come out in Manchester. And then I started to um, come out and let my, uh, yeah. my family into my life. I started with my siblings. That went well. And then I ended uh, with speaking to my mother about it. And that went well. The only time it was complicated, if I'm honest, was when the show came out. Because no longer was it um, just my family who knew. And my family is still a part of these communities, these tight-knit communities, I'm not, yeah. but they are. And so that made it a little more complicated because now not only did they know, which was fine, they could keep that secret and that was okay, but now the other brown people were starting to hear, what will the neighbours think? Yeah. But, so when the show came out, it was actually quite problematic for me for the first few months. Um, and my relationship with my family was quite uh, tense. But since then, thank God, yeah. we have worked through it. When you left the mosque, Mm -hmm. how did you or did you ever find your way back to practicing religion in a mosque again? And then secondly, what was it like when it became challenging in your family, small knit community? Uh, The Muslim religion is quite different to other faiths because Mm -hmm. you don't actually have to go to mosque to practice your religion. It's encouraged and it's it's a nice thing to do to build community. But you don't have to. You can pray from anywhere. So nice. Um, So I didn't ever miss the mosque. I was never the biggest fan of mosque anyway. For me, it was a very easy decision to just practice my religion at home. And I'm not I'm not an, uh, an active Muslim. I don't pray now, but I call myself a cultural Muslim. My day to day practices are not very Islamic. Mm. Do people judge that? Because what does a cultural Muslim mean? It just means, means you don't 
go to mosque, you don't. So an active Muslim or a practicing Muslim would probably go to mosque at, l- at least on Fridays. Yeah. Uh, and they pray probably regularly. Uh, uh, the super staunch Muslims uh, practice, uh, sorry, pray five times a day. Yeah. Whereas, which is uh, an absolute requirement. But uh, people who aren't as devout but still would class as themselves as Muslims, they believe in one of, there are many things that you have to do, but one of them is believing in the oneness of Allah, which is our word for God. And that's what I am. I believe in my God. I believe in Prophet Muhammad. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do. Uh, I don't do the things that I'm not yeah. meant to do. Um, no, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I don't do the things that I'm not meant to do, uh, but I don't do some of the things that I probably should be doing. Got it. Got and it. the reason why I don't feel guilt about it is because I never profess to be a perfect Muslim. I never profess to be a perfect mm. person. I do what I can and what I feel comfortable with that works for me. And I try and be the best person I can be. And that, in my opinion, is more important than being the best Muslim. I just want to hold on, take a moment for people to understand that because I think that's key. A lot of the times when we feel anxiety in our lives or we feel as if we're not living our true lives is because we feel this pressure to either be perfect or to live up to a perfect standard mm-hmm. based on the community or the people that are around us. Especially and, in religion. Especially in religion. And it's important for you to practice daily, mm-hmm. to find the strength to say, you know what? I don't have to be your perfect version. Mm-mm. I just have to do what is right for mm-hmm. me. And that is hard to do. I Absolutely. understand that yeah. but it's it's a daily practice mm-hmm. of finding the courage to be mm-hmm. who you are authentically yeah. tell someone who you are mm-hmm. so that they know the authentic mm-hmm. you and then through that practice daily practice 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 because that's what you did yeah the, the hardest thing is actually the judgment of others but thankfully i have the most wonderful husband and family and so I don't really care what randos think about my life. I stopped caring about that a long time ago. Yeah. If I'm not because uh, you practiced. Yes, yeah. absolutely. If uh, if I'm not willing to go, uh, this is a common phrase. But if I'm not willing to go to you for advice, I'm definitely not going to take your judgment. Oh, you know I love her. Uh, I'm yeah. school <laughs> if I'm not willing to take your advice, I'm not going to take your judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, Can we get a drum roll? <laughs> that is so good. Thanks. Why have you not said that on Queer Eye? That's a cute. I'll use it today. I'll use it today. But we're on camera today. Yeah. You better. I'll use it today. That is really good. Thanks. But yeah, I'm not going to take your advice. I'm not going to take your judgment. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm not coming to you, if I don't respect you enough to go to you for wow. this. Mm. Your family doesn't have to love you. That's not a commitment that was ever made. Yes, you expect that they will. You hope that they will, but that's never a guarantee. And that's how I felt at the time. And... And it was because I was going through this very hard time of my life. And it actually happened. We were. It was the morning we were going to Australia, Karamo. Mm-hmm. I saw a very mean text on my family text uh, saying that this is horrible what you're doing. Like we're, we're suffering such uh, shame in our community. And we can't believe you put us through this wow. for such a selfish gain. And so I called my siblings and I was like, I'm so sorry. That's not what I was trying to do. I never want anyone who is from our community to ever feel like, they don't have a future because of the fact that they're brown and Muslim yeah. and gay. I lived that my whole life. I never saw a version of myself on TV. And I always thought, I probably won't last very long. I probably will either end up marrying a woman and live a, a life that is a lie and end up killing myself or just killing myself. Yeah. Because being a Muslim man, which I refuse to give up, and being a gay man, they, you can't reconcile that. And, that. and that was hard as a child. When I was like six or seven, I couldn't figure it out. And so when I saw that text and when I was speaking to them, I tr- was trying to make them understand that I know it may seem selfish, but I didn't need the money. You know, Karamo, I retired before the yeah, show came out. Right. I was doing just fine. I wanted to do the show because I wanted 
them little boys and girls like me to never feel the way I felt as a yeah. kid and felt so alone and felt, felt so much shame. And so I really tried to articulate that to them and they were just too angry at the time to really take that in. Yeah, I just don't think they understood that the things that they were going through were less important than what I needed to try and do. Yeah, it's funny because even though I know you as a man, the child that lives in us that still is trying to make sense of the adult yeah. who is now here, yeah. who's making decisions, that child sometimes speaks for us because I've never heard you say, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. You were apologizing inadvertently mm -hmm. yeah. for being you. Yeah. As people of color, as people of the LGBTQIA mm -hmm. community, mm -hmm. women often do this. We end up apologizing oh, for yeah. who we are. Oh, yeah. And as you and I, I know how confident we are as mm -hmm. men. We don't apologize mm -hmm. for who we are. Yeah. So it was interesting for me to hear you did that. Yeah, I'm very different with my family. I'm very close with my family. I always have been. And I want their love and acceptance more than anything in the world. And I need them to be more proud of me than anyone else. And so I apologized to them even though I didn't need to apologize yeah, yeah, to them. Yeah, no, of course. Um, but I apologized to them because I couldn't fathom bringing them discomfort or shame. Have they ever talked about the discomfort that you have felt? Since then, yes. Men? Yes. Yeah. We were boarding a flight that morning to Australia for mm, three days. I remember. And I remember distinctly saying to the person who was with us from PR at Netflix saying, I don't know if I can do this. I'm so sorry. Uh, and they're like, we have to. Like, the show must go on. You know how it is. It, you have to put on a smile. We're, we're the queer eye guys. Mm -hmm. You have to be jolly. You have to be positive. And the whole time I was sitting there thinking, I'm going through probably the hardest time of my life, truly the hardest time of my life. I can take insults and hate from anybody else. Hearing it from the people you love the most in your life, I felt physically sick. I tried to watch those interviews and I do not recognize myself. Mm. I was quieter than I've ever been. You could tell I was, I was mortified. Yeah. That was probably the hardest experience ever. And then when I got back, I called them again. I said, you will hear me. I will not apologize for myself anymore. I need you to hear what I'm going through. And actually, I need you guys to apologize for not understanding that your, what you're going through right now is nowhere near what I've been through my whole life. Mm. How did you find the courage to have that combo? You know, I am the youngest of uh, my family, and I have always been the loudest and, <laughs> um, and the most difficult. Yes. And so I actually didn't... Same. I didn't struggle <laughs> with it. I was like, you will hear me. Yeah. And I will not be thwarted. Like, I, you will listen to what I am saying. And I need you to know that if you decide to lose me, leave it, let me go. You lose me. Like, you actually lose me. And I know it's a loss because I am the most charismatic member of this family. And I am the glue that holds us together. Yeah. When you guys fight, I'm the one who solves it. Even from all the way over here, I am across the ocean. When you guys argue, I call you and I solve it. If you think this family can function without me, try. Yeah. And I think that was the sh most shocking moment for them. I think that they needed to realize that they will actually lose me if they weren't accept willing to accept my life. Yeah. And that's what it came down to. Yeah. And at that point, I really was willing to walk away. I was actually willing to walk away because I wasn't willing to put up with that kind of negativity about my, my existence. Dan, we actually have to go to work. I, I so kind like, of wish we had an I know, hour. I want to continue You're talk. such an idiot. I, when you said it was half an hour, I was like, we can't talk for half an hour. I not know, I know, I know, I know. But this is the problem. I also did this because purposefully, I know that you and I could have talked about so many things. I know. We have had similar stories, but what I love about yours is that you've made it through. You know, if anybody else wants to know the rest of the Tan Fran story, you should go pick up the New York Times bestseller, Naturally Tan, available in bookstores <laughs> yeah. right now or wherever books are sold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because 
there's things that we've talked about mm-hmm. that we're not going to get to this episode, mm-hmm. but will be covered on this season of my podcast, like colorism. Yes. And maybe there's a season three moment, Karama, where I come back and I talk about whatever else I need yes, to talk about. We need to set some records straight. We I, need to set some records do, straight. You know what? I think we just got tan to come back uh-huh. to, for another mm-hmm. interview. And I just need to say one thing. The thing that yes. I'm going to come back and talk about for season three is this. I am so done with seeing purely uh, Caucasian people as desirable. Uh-uh. I am over this. Okay. And I will not tolerate it anymore. So we all understand that, especially in the media, mm-hmm. the person that is pushed as the standard of beauty is yeah. normally a uh, Caucasian yeah. Anglo yeah. look. It's yeah. blonde hair or blue eyes or green mm-hmm. eyes. It's, you know, sort and ideals. Yeah. Six pack. Mm-hmm. These sort and standards are ideals. And normally, people of color or people of different weight sizes or mm-hmm. people of different ethnic backgrounds mm-hmm. do not fit into those. Mm-hmm. And so you become the the less sexualized mm-hmm. one or the less one. I want to share something with you yeah. that I, do, I didn't think I would ever share with you. You said something in season one. Well, we were, we were in something called, okay, audience, we have something called pre-production. Before you start a, a season, mm-hmm. You do pre-production, which is basically a plan of what the the show will be, um, what the season will be. At the start, we had like a week, I think. Yeah, we did. In Atlanta or in Atlanta. And you said something. We were talking about roles on the show. Yeah. And somebody had said, and this person is the sexy one. And I remember you being frustrated saying, why is that the only sexy? (laughs) I do remember this. Yeah. Yeah. And you were moody about it. But. In the in the right way, you didn't yeah. say any disrespectful, but you just kind of you seemed frustrated, and I was thinking, gosh, why is he being so moody about it? Like, <laughs> grow up. Who cares if you're not seen as a sexy one? Why do you care? You're on a show. Like, yeah. shut up and just do the job. Like, yeah. who cares? Now I know, and I've known ever since I've been in this industry and not been in this industry long. But I'm a lot more aware of this industry mm. now and the inner workings and and what is portrayed. Um, as sexy and so I watch TV differently I, I watch movies differently and I think that, that every one of us who's in this industry does that yeah. it kind of ruined TV for me it really yeah. did and so now I watch thinking God Karama was right why is only that white person the desirable lead and I'm not talking about actually I'm talking about and most shows most mm-hmm. movies I watch movies thinking huh there's that other person of colour who is also very attractive, but, but not nobody's talking. Can I swear on this show? Yes, you can. But nobody suggested wanting to fuck that person. Yeah. They only want to talk about what they want to do to the white guy or the white girl. Second to that is the African American or black person. How would you like to? However you would like would mm-hmm. like to articulate yeah. it. That's the second person who's seen as desirable. Mm-hmm. And then the Asian person or the South Asian person or I'm going to say Mexican. Because there's a negative connotation in this country when it comes to Mexicans. There's other South Americans that are seen as very desirable. There's a ranking of Asian, South Asian, Mexican. We're not allowed to be sexy. Yeah. We're not allowed to be the desirable lead. Mm-hmm. And it infuriates me. Yeah. And now I sit there thinking, why aren't I allowed to be sexy? Yeah. Why am I not allowed to talk about the fact that I am sexual too? Yeah. I feel desirable too, or I want to feel desirable too. Why is that not ever discussed? I was watching a TV show, Girls, a few seasons ago before it ended. They had a guy called Riz Ahmed on there, mm-hmm. who I love very much. I don't know him. I just love him as an actor, and I love what he stands for. And Lena Dunham cast him as her sex friend, a friend with benefits. And I was sat there watching thinking, I have never seen this before. Yep. A Pakistani man 
is seen as sexual, desirable. Somebody wants to sleep with that guy. And then I saw it again recently, and I was reminded on uh, a show called Four Weddings and a Funeral. There's uh, the lead, and the leader of the movie is Hugh Grant, and he's the sex symbol. And on this new version of the show that Mindy Kaling produced, and I'm saying her name because it's very clear it was created by a brown person because they cast the desirable lead as an, uh, I don't know if he's Indian or Pakistani. I can say it. (laughs) I can say it. We're same, same. He's a South Asian who's a darker skinned South Asian. Mm -hmm. He's slightly darker than me. And he's seen as desirable. And as far as I'm concerned, he hot. Yeah. And and the, the young lady who's desiring him is a mixed race girl. And I was sat there watching thinking, I've never seen this in-depth of a conversation about this girl who's not South Asian fancying this man who's South Asian. I have never seen this on TV before. And it is 2019. And I've never seen my people as desirable. And it got me thinking, I'm in a privileged position at this point, and I'm going to spend the rest of my time in, in this industry pushing to show that we are desirable too. The white person is not the only desirable person. Or if you want to have your token uh, black person in there, say, oh, we'll, we'll throw a black guy in here yep. and we'll pretend that we've, we've got it right. Yep. No, mm-hmm. we, can, we are people too and we want to sleep with people too and feel desirable. <laughs> I promise you, this is a discussion that has to happen more, especially within the industry and especially with people of color, especially people of color within the gay community. I mean, there's so yes. many because we don't talk about it. We and don't we, talk we about it. we allow it to continue to happen. You know, And it, it, it's very upsetting. And, and people on the outside don't see this because mm-hmm. they, people will have, and I'm glad you brought this up, will have different opposing opinions on this mm-hmm. because they'll be like, no, that's not the truth. It's not mm-hmm. always the white guy yes. or the person that's the standard of beauty. Yeah. Where other people are like, yeah, there is a problem. Yeah. But how do we have that conversation? Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm going to give you one flippant comment that uh, I heard on a set uh, of um, a thing I was doing. And it was uh, a Caucasian person who was choosing who was going to be on a scene to be sexy. And there were a bunch of people. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. A bunch of people of color. And there was this one white person 
And they wanted this white person to be the one who was going to do this thing that was a sexy move. And I was sat there thinking, there are other people here who are very sexy. Yeah. But you are choosing that white person because that's the easy. And it's not because this person's racist. I know this person. Mm -hmm. They would be mortified if they ever heard that that the thing that they did was actually unwise and quite possibly offensive. Yeah. I don't think that people are consciously trying to do this. I just think they think, yeah, that person's white and they're pretty. Yeah. So of course we'll put him on camera. Yeah. Doesn't matter that there's five other people, men of color or women of color, whoever else of color. No, it, that wouldn't make sense. Like the overall audience isn't gonna resonate with that. They, they're gonna connect with this white person of color who's seen a sex. And I'm so glad you talked about this because this is how we start to have those hard mm -hmm. conversations. The things that are affecting us, because mm -hmm. at the all, end of the day, we all want to be desired, we all yeah. want to be loved, we all want to be happy. Yeah. And sometimes we have to challenge other people to mm -hmm. look outside of the way they've been living mm -hmm. or thinking, so that way they can grow, and then we can all feel respected. So Without being combative. I'm not being combative. Yeah. And when I have, the, I've started having these conversations, I'm never being combative. Yeah. There's a way to it diplomatically to say, you, I know you may not even be aware, but I need you to know that this is, that your actions are actually saying so much more than you think. And friends, that is what season two is about. So, Tan, yeah, thank baby. you so much. I love you I with love all you my too. heart. Um, this was lovely, Kay. Was it? Yeah. Thanks, man. You're very, I mean, I know you do this well, but you're very good at interviewing. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So, friends, thank you so much for being here today. I love you. Make sure you check out Tan on his show. Next in Fashion. Next in Fashion. Also on Queer Eye. And Dressing Funny. Hello. And Dressing Funny. Oh, my gosh. That YouTube series is amazing. Yeah, yeah you've done a good, which you did a lot of work on, what people don't know, but we'll brag yeah. about that later. Tan, I love you so much. Thank you for being too. here. I cannot tell you how much I love Tan France. Honestly, the one of the greatest gifts of my life is having him come into my life and become someone who I value as a friend and as family. A lot of the things that Tan and I discussed are things that we both share, things that we both experience. And it's great to give you all, our listeners, our friends, an insight into what we've gone through so that you can have a perspective of understanding a bit if you ever come across someone who looks like us or may come from a similar background or come from a similar experience as us. So hopefully through our story, you've learned a little bit, you've grown a little bit. And as we finish this episode, I want to remind you, season two is all about that growth, continuing it on, learning new perspectives, but it's also about hearing from you. So I'm excited for the next episode because now your voice and what you have to say is going to be part of this conversation. And not only is it going to be in the podcast, but also on social media. I'm going to be dropping topics that I want to hear how you're feeling and what your thoughts are. This is important. If we're ever going to come together as a country, as a people, as a world, we have to hear all sides and respect all sides. But we also have to understand how to come to a common ground so that we can all grow together. And that's what I'm here for, friends. So, as always, thank you to Tan for stopping by. I love you, brother. And thank you for everyone who has listened. And I just ask that you continue to listen. And let's go on this journey together because I promise you, you won't be disappointed. As always, friends, I love you and take care. Karamo, a podcast, is an entertainment show. 
For advice or support on any emotional or mental challenges, please contact a licensed professional in your town. This show was produced by Karamo, Nick Pinella of Workhouse Media, and assisted by Ellie Charles. All music composed by Ernie Wooden and the Big Woozy Band, and all episodes are edited by Nathan Moody. Thank you for listening and growing with us. We'll be right back. 